morning, everybody. Would you please remain standing as we read God's word? My name is Dara, and I'm going to be reading Philippians 4, verse 10 to 23, which is today's sermon scripture reading. I'd encourage you to read along in your Bibles. If you're using the blue ESV Bibles in your pew, you can find the passage on page 571. That's 571. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet, it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good morning. Um, if we haven't met, my name is Ben Wishall. I serve as an elder here at Icon, um, it is great uh, to see everyone, see people back from summer, see a lot of uh, faces I don't recognize, that's fun, so um, it's good to be here. So today is our final sermon in Philippians. Uh, we've been spending, uh, since mid-July, just been walking through um, these words that the Spirit of God inspired Paul to write 2,000 years ago. Um, as Dara just read for us, Paul closes this letter with this kind of weird halfway thanking the Philippians for their generosity, but then also like slipping in a little more teaching. He's like, he, he just can't help himself. Um, and of course, it's not this little like throwaway comment, right? He tells them, I've learned the secret of contentment. I mean, that's like, if you're tucking that in at the very end, like that feels to me like highlight, bold, this, this is a big deal. But um, for whatever reason, uh, he chose to just kind of just kind of slip it in here at the end. Um, he says that, that uh, I can be brought low, which they know his story, right? If, if uh, back at, in July, 
uh, Miko uh, preached for us from Acts and, and told us about how he was publicly beaten and thrown in prison. Um, so, so the Philippians witnessed Paul being brought low. They witnessed him at his lowest. And then he also says, I know how to abound. And here in, in verse 18, he tells them how much they've supported him. He's, he's well supplied. I've received all your payments. So, so Paul, um, Paul tells them and they know firsthand that he knows how to be brought low. He knows how to abound. Regardless, he says, I've, I can be content. And then he tells them the secret, which is one of the most uh, pulled out of context verses in all of scripture. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Secret of contentment is the strength that Christ supplies. So this morning I have four observations from, from these verses that we're going to walk through together. Um, so we'll, we'll I'll run through those and then we'll pray and, and dive in. So... Um, contentment is available regardless of circumstance. Right? That's what Paul says here. You can have contentment regardless of what's going on in your life. Um, contentment takes work. Um, contentment is a fruit of generosity. And then true contentment is found in our heavenly citizenship. So you pray with me and we will dive in. Um, Father, thank you, for, thank you for this family that um, continues to faithfully come together to seek you together, Lord, and just ask that you will meet us here in this place, Lord, and as we talk about a topic that is um, so important and so valuable um, for our souls, Lord, so much, so much time and effort and energy is spent chasing after satisfaction and happiness, um, Lord, this, this is such a, an important text for us to truly enjoy you fully, and just ask that your spirit will speak, um, speak to our souls at a deep, deep level. And pray in your name. Amen. Okay, so the first, first observation, right? Contentment is available regardless of our circumstances. So if we, if we go to, again, verses 11 and 12 again, Paul says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In every and any circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Okay. This idea of, of contentment being apart from circumstances is not unique to Philippians, it's not unique to the Bible, it's not unique even to Christianity, and this is a very old idea. Um, the ancient historian Aristotle, who lived about 400 years before these words were written, said that happiness is the meaning and purpose of life, the whole aim and end of human existence, and Aristotle believed that our happiness is dependent on ourselves. We have to work it out. Regardless of our circumstances, we can find happiness, right? Plato taught similar things. He said a life committed to knowledge and virtue would result in happiness regardless of one's circumstances. Um, more recently, uh, 1971, psychologists Philip Brickman and Donald T. Campbell uh, published a paper titled Hedonic Relativism and Planning the Good Society. Right, so in this paper, they coined this term hedonic adaptation, this theory explains that as a person's circumstances change, your baseline requirements for happiness change along with that circumstance. So you get a big promotion, you get a new job, you get a new house, you're happy for a little while, and then that becomes your new expectation, and to continue to be happy, you have to get the next thing, and then you get there, and the next thing, and the next thing. Right? This, in, in this theory, as it's been developed over the last 50 years, um, the the idea now is this the hedonic treadmills what they talk about we're just constantly running and running and running but never going anywhere 
because we're chasing these, these temporary things, right? This is secular psychology, right? This is nothing, nothing to do with Christianity, nothing to do with, with religion. These are papers that are published in the same journals that, that talk about all of this, this weird apart from God stuff, right? And secular psychology, ancient, ancient philosophers have figured out that the pursuit of happiness is never ending, right? If we're chasing circumstances, you're never going to get there, right? More resources, more wealth, a better job, a nicer boss, an upscale apartment, ending a bad relationship, starting a good relationship. None of those things are going to bring lasting contentment. You may enhance your life, but it won't last, right? For me, um, for a long time, it was, it was a number in our, in our bank account. So Mallory and I got married about 12 years ago, May of, of 2021, um, a couple weeks after I finished my junior year of college. So that point in life, didn't, didn't have a lot, was still a college student. Um, our first apartment was uh, about 600 square feet. Rent was $550 a month, and that felt expensive. <laughs> um, um, I actually looked it up. That apartment today only rents for 800 bucks. So still, <laughs> difference between Kansas City and Seattle. <laughs> um, at the time, I was making 14, 15 an hour. Um, but I felt like, man, if if we could just always have about about 2,000 dollars in the bank, that gives a pretty good buffer. That's that's four months rent. <laughs> um, that that gets us going. While I'm finishing school, I'm starting my career. If we if we can have that have that number then I'll be okay, right? Here's the thing, right? We would hit that number, and I'd still, still feel nervous because, okay, now I have to maintain it. How, how do we not dip back below that? Oh, man, it was really, it was really hot this month. AC was running more than, a, than normal. Mm, it dipped down to 1,800 bucks, and I'm, and I'm a wreck, right? It's this constant up and down, this balance, because I was, I was looking towards something that, that I couldn't really control, but something that was totally of me. It, I would just stress and obsess over it, Okay. Maybe it isn't money for you, okay? Maybe you really struggle with singleness. You find yourself always chasing relationship or desiring to have that. But then when you're in that relationship, you worry so much about losing it that, that you can't relax and be yourself. You can't enjoy the other person or you compromise your morals and you do things that you know you shouldn't because you don't want to lose this person. You stay in a bad, even an abusive relationship way longer than you should because you just can't, can't stay in the thought of being single. You can't, what, what do I do? Maybe it's a title, right? Supervisor, manager, vice president, DHJ, PhD. Achieving a title, attaining that position, gaining that notoriety. I can show my parents now I'm successful, right? My friends that I went to school with, look what I can put on social media. Okay, but what happens when you get it, right? You're still the same person. Your friends and family members are still the same people. If you weren't enough for them before, you're not going to be enough for them now. Or if that changes things, are they really the friends that you want to have in your life with you when things get hard again? Are they going to be there? Okay. No matter what, there's no rest. There's no satisfaction. There's no contentment because there's either the chase or the fear of the loss. Now, getting out of a toxic work situation can absolutely enhance your life. Ending an abusive relationship can have a significant impact on your overall mental health and happiness. And 
if you're in that place, if you're in an abusive relationship, please, there'll be a handful of us up front. We'd love to talk to you. We'd love to help you with that. Those things are serious. We love you guys. We take those seriously. But here's the thing, okay? Enhancing our life by changing our circumstances will not bring lasting contentment. It is temporary. It can enhance it, and it can be good things, but if that's the sole thing you're looking towards, you're always going to be chasing something more. Okay? Paul says, in any and every circumstance, not, oh, if I have this thing, or if I have that thing, or if I don't have this, any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of contentment. Okay, so that's our, that's our first, first observation, right? God wants us to have contentment regardless of our circumstances. And the second one that, that I see here is that contentment takes work. Okay, so I'm gonna read again verses 11 through 13, but kind of try and listen for what Paul said was, was his responsibility, what he has done, how, how he is interacting with, with God, with himself in his contentment. Not that I am speaking of, in, of being in need, For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I have learned, I know how, I know how, I have learned, I can do. In three verses, that's what he says. Okay. We can't, we don't sit back and just wait for contentment to magically appear in our lives. Paul says in one of the most famous verses in the Bible, he can do all things because Christ gives him the strength, but he doesn't say that Christ gives him the contentment, right? Christ gives him the strength, and then I can be content. Then I can do it. He reinforces it even more um, if you dig into the, into the Greek a little bit. So in verse 11, the word content um, is autokase, I'm probably butchering that, but um, this Greek word was actually very popular with the Greek Stoic philosophers at that time. Um, it, it communicated the idea of self-rule and self-sufficiency. A mature adult was marked by their ability to control themselves, to rule their own emotions, to find sufficiency in what they could muster up on their own. Okay? Paul's using their word here when he talks about what it means to be to be content. He says, hey, no matter what situation I'm in, right, I can, I can have this contentment. I can do it. So he's, he's telling the people of God, hey, there's work here. You can't just sit back and wait. Then he also flips it, flips it on its head in verse 13 when he says that I can do all things through Christ, right? The Stoics taught this complete and total self-reliance. Paul says the strength that we have, the ability to rule ourselves well, to have this contentment is because of the strength that we have from Christ, so he's he's speaking to both to both camps to both parties here. Um, I think I think a really helpful analogy um, for this is actually the Hoover Dam. So, Hoover Dam at the time it was built was the biggest hydroelectric power plant in the world, and it's still one of the biggest. Um, it provides electricity to about 1.3 million people uh, in Nevada, Arizona, and California. The structure is 726 feet tall. It weighs over 13 billion pounds with billion with a B, and it's built with enough concrete that you could pave a highway from San Francisco to New York. Um, it has 17 turbines that generates all of that power. Um, 
15 of those turbines were updated in the, in the 80s and 90s, and they put out 178,000 horsepower each, which is about the same as 600 Toyota Camrys. Okay, so total, the, 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 the Hoover Dam produces the same power that 9,500 cars do if they're all running at the same time. But do you know what the raw source of the electricity is that comes out of the Hoover Dam? Okay. It's the Colorado River and gravity. The river flows into, around, and through the dam. It falls in all these mini waterfalls. They said the, the biggest drop that the water makes inside the dam is over 500 feet to turn all of these things. Um, without that river, the Hoover Dam would be a huge concrete wall. It would do nothing for anyone. It's the strength provided by the river that allows the equipment inside the dam to provide power to 1.3 million people. Now you take away the dam, and the Colorado River is just a river. It's not providing electricity to anyone. There is so much raw strength in that river, but if it, is, if it wasn't being harnessed by the dam, it was, it's just that. It's just a river. Here's kind of the last piece of this analogy. That dam didn't pop up overnight, right? It was planned for, it was built, it took work, it took planning, it took effort, it took intention. So it was built in the 1930s. Does anybody know or have any guess how long it took to build this thing? Five years, okay. They were given seven, they got it done in five. Um, April of 1931 to March of 1936. There was, on average, 3,500 people working every day for five years to build this dam. Okay, so if you do the math, 3,500 people, eight hours a day for five years, it's about 40 million hours that were spent building this thing. 40 million hours to build this thing. To be able to harness the raw power and strength and turn it into something. Right. Paul says he's learned how to be content in any circumstance. Right? He's learned how he had to build this within himself. He had to build this understanding of who God is and how he relates to him. Right? Like building the Hoover Dam, it took work, right? He was imprisoned and beaten and ridiculed and mocked and set free and preached the gospel and then did it all again and again. And in that, every step along the way, he learned something more about God and he learned something more about God every step along the way. And, and he has to do work to maintain it. Okay, I mentioned, you know, the, the Hoover Dam was updated in the 80s and 90s, right? We don't build it once and then stop. It's an ongoing, constant work in us, partnering with the strength flowing through us to have self-rule, self-control, self-sufficiency, to have contentment. Okay, so how? How do we do that, right? First observation, contentment's a vital part of our life, regardless of our circumstances. Second observation, right, we have an active role to play. Christ is the river flowing through, but we have to harness that strength and do something with it. So what do we do? What is the work that we are called to do in our own contentment? The first point that I see here is generosity. Okay? Generosity plays a significant role in our contentment in Christ. If you look at um, back in verse 14, so Philippians 4 verse 14. I'm going to read through, through verse 19. Okay. 
Um, and little background, so Paul, again, wrote them, hey, thank you, you've been generous. Um, and so he's just, just kind of this back and forth. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you, you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So Paul does here with, with these verses and verses 10 through 13, he really mirrors himself. First he's talking about himself and what he has learned and then he pushes it outward onto, onto the Philippians. Okay, if we look, kind of look, look at the back and forth. Um, so verse 10, he starts by saying, hey, I rejoiced, you've revived your concern, you're giving to me again. And he's like, don't feel guilty, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't need it, like, I'm good, I'm content. Um, and then he kind of talks about, hey, I've, I found all these things, I'm content, I have this strength. And then he kind of goes back to it, he said, but, you know, I appreciate it. It was nice of you to share my trouble, thanks for doing that. Um, and then again, he's like, but I don't, I, I don't need the gift, I don't need it. But more important to me, verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Okay, so by telling them, hey, I, I'm rejoicing in this gift that you've given. I'm, I'm so thankful that you have helped me. It's like, I don't, I don't need it because my satisfaction is in Christ, but it's good for you because it's gonna help you to grow. That's what I'm looking for. That's why I'm talking about it. That's why I'm thanking you is because I want you to continue because of how it helps you, not because I need it, because it's good for you. tells them there's a fruit that increases to your credit, okay? What does that, that mean, okay? Paul knows God is gonna use any and every circumstance to form and shape us, and when we, when we obey, when we walk in obedience, there's fruit that grows in our lives, right? right? Maturity and growth follows from obedience. We don't, we don't get mature and grow and get stronger, and then we obey. No, it, through our obedience, God shapes and forms and matures us. In this specific situation, Paul's talking about giving, he's talking about contentment, and that is the fruit. He's telling them, hey, I have learned the secret, I know how to do this, I can do all things, and that's the fruit that you're gonna experience if you continue to give generously. The fruit that I have, you're gonna have. He said a couple times throughout this entire, uh, through this entire letter, he says, hey, we, we imitate Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. And, and so he's saying, hey, now, if you're gonna imitate me, I'm content. Here's how you can do that. Continue to be generous, and you'll experience that fruit and that growth. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says it this way. Okay. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. The word sufficiency there is the same Greek root that he uses here in Philippians when he says, I have this contentment because Christ gives me the strength. Okay. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound 
in every good work. Our generosity results in this self-sufficient contentment and the strength that God supplies. How is God calling you to live generously today? Right? We typically think of finances when we talk about generosity, and that's very appropriate. Um, but I, I believe there's more to it than that. I think generosity is a lifestyle. It's not just, yeah, I, I wrote the check. It, it's a lifestyle. Okay? What about time? How do you think about your time? Is it yours to spend as you see fit? Or is God calling you to live generously and serve others with your time more than you are today? Maybe it is financial for you, okay? There are some, not all, but some that, that God has chosen to, to bless tremendously with, with resources and then also calls them to live beneath those resources so that they can give more, right? He calls us, calls some to a very simple lifestyle so they can give more. I believe he does call every Christian to live beneath what their, what their wealth could allow them so that we do give. I mean, the Bible's full of, of being a generous giver, um, and that can look a lot of things. It can mean giving to a local church. It can mean giving to organizations like Union Gospel Mission that, that are preaching the gospel. It can mean supporting missionaries overseas. Regardless, okay, regardless, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not up here as the Spirit of God telling you how you need to change your lifestyle or change how you spend your money and be more generous. Um, that's God's responsibility. That's the Spirit's responsibility. But the promise that we have is that when we obey with a generous lifestyle, God will bring the fruit of contentment. That is the promise. That is the promise. That's what I care about. When we obey by living a generous lifestyle, God will grow the fruit of contentment in you. That's promised here. You are more. You are better. Abundance doesn't bring me contentment. Holy poverty doesn't bring me contentment. Only you bring me contentment. Contentment. I'm going to lay down my stuff. I'm going to lay down my time, and I'm going to see what happens. I'm going to see what you're going to do, because it's going to move my heart heart towards Jesus. And that's that gets me into into our final point, the the second kind of point of application. True contentment is found in our heavenly citizenship. Paul's talked a lot about about citizenship here in Philippians, um, especially in in chapter three, uh, when when Matt was preaching. there, There was a lot of of talk of you know forgetting what lies behind straight into what lies ahead. This resume that I had before Jesus, it it doesn't matter because my life is Christ's now, right? Our heavenly citizenship. So verse 19, read that one again. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, no doubt, God is rich, okay? He created everything. He could snap his fingers and make gold appear in your backyard or zeros in your bank account, um, he could give you the house of your dreams available in your price range, right? It's, it's possible he could. Um, but the true riches of God are in glory. When we understand that, when we are able to see the so-called riches of this world for what we are, for what they are, we can enjoy them appropriately and enjoy God in glory. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the things of this world, okay? God created us to be inspired by incredible music or beautiful art. Right? He created us to get excited about our sports teams even when they lose. Um, he created us to enjoy these things. He gave us our personalities. There's nothing wrong with enjoying the things of the world, but when we enjoy the gifts and forget about the giver, when our identity and satisfaction becomes about the gifts and not the giver, that becomes idolatry. 
Those things are what we're putting our hope in and not in the one that's giving them to us. And so when those things are taken away, it crushes us. Back in Genesis, when God created mankind, when God created everything, right? He said, hey, he looked at it, it's good. He looked at it, it's good. And then when he made mankind, he said, it is very good. He breathed life into our nostrils. That, that's the image that, that, um, that we have in Genesis of the, the intimacy with which God formed mankind. It says he breathed into their nostrils. He walked in the garden with Adam and Eve, and then sin broke that relationship. Okay. God descended from heaven. He went to the cross for our sake, for reconciliation, for eternity, not for the temporary. He went for our souls, not primarily for our bodies in this lifetime. He wants us, yes, to honor him with our body, but we're gonna struggle with sickness and sin. We're gonna have these things. He doesn't fully redeem this body. He gives us a taste of what is to come when we receive a new body. But Christ came for your soul. The riches of God are found in glory, in the eternal, because God is after your soul, not comfort in this life today. He wants to provide us what we need the most, what is the best, what's gonna bring you lasting satisfaction, lasting contentedness. He wants to meet us where our soul can be truly satisfied. My body, my mind, my flesh may fail, right? but you are my portion. You are my riches. Okay. So that's what riches in glory, and then how does he deliver them, right? My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Okay? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He's connecting it for him again. Right? Jesus is the source of the glorious riches of God. Jesus is the guarantee of our receipt of these glorious riches of God. And true contentment is found in our heavenly citizenship with Jesus as our king, providing for our souls the strength that he provides 2 Corinthians 1.20, for all the promises of God find their yes in him, in Christ. That is, that is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. The secret of contentment is to learn, to know, to believe, to saturate your soul in the promises of your Savior so that we can see and savor Jesus for who he is. Here are just a few, a few of the promises of God. I could, I could spend all day, but here's just a few. Okay, from Psalm 84. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Or from, from Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. From Romans 8, part of which we already read this morning. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? 
Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I chose Psalm 23 and Romans 8 specifically to highlight what Jesus promises regarding our circumstances in the midst of trials and suffering. Right? The valley of the shadow of death. Persecution, tribulation, distress, famine. There's an idea, a teaching that's out there, um, really, really had its height um, probably years ago, but it still is very prominent today, um, that often is referred to as the prosperity gospel. You, you won't necessarily hear people that, that preach this, coin it that, um, but that's what uh, kind of, kind of the, the, the term that Christians have coined to come up with and identify to, to define um, what is a false gospel. Okay? It's one of the most insidious and evil teachings that exists because it sounds true, but it's not. It's so close, but it's just a little bit off. Right? The short version is that the prosperity gospel teaches if you follow Jesus, you believe him, you're going to get rich. You're going to have success. You're going to have favor. Your family will be healthy and safe. Um, it's, it's poison masquerading as the bread of life. Right? It's, it's this message of temporal happiness masquerading as true contentment. It just isn't true because it put, puts your hope in the things of this world. So what do you do when your engine blows up? Right? What do you do when your niece needs heart surgery? What, what do you do when these things happen with the prosperity gospel? It's, it's just false truth. Um, Kind of as, as we close, as we prepare to, to transition to time of communion, there's a short video um, that we're going to watch. It's a clip of John Piper from about 13 years ago, um, but talking about the prosperity gospel, talking about satisfaction in Christ, he says it so much better than I can. So we're going to watch that, and then we will we'll transition. I don't know what you feel about the prosperity gospel, the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel, but I'll tell you what I feel about it hatred. It is not the gospel. And it's being exported from this country to Africa and Asia, selling a bill of goods to the poorest of the poor. Believe this message, your pigs won't die, your wife won't have miscarriages, you have rings on your fingers and coats on your back. That's coming out of America. The people that ought to be giving our money and our time and our lives instead selling them a bunch of crap called gospel. And here's the reason it is so horrible. When was the last time that any American, African, Asian ever said, Jesus is all satisfying because you drove a BMW? Never! They'll say, Jesus give you that? Yeah, well, I'll take Jesus. That's idolatry. That's not the gospel. That's elevating gifts above giver. I'll tell you what makes Jesus look beautiful is when you smash your car and your little girl goes flying through the windshield and lands like dead on the street. And you say, through the deepest possible pain. God is enough. God is enough. He is good. 
He will take care of us. He will satisfy us. He will get us through this. He is our treasure. Whom have I in heaven but you and on earth? There's nothing that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart and my little girl may fail, but you are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. That makes God look glorious. As God, not as giver of cars or safety or health. Oh, how I pray that America would be purged of the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel and that the Christian church would be marked by suffering for Christ. God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in Him in the midst of loss, not prosperity. matter the circumstances you're facing, contentment in Jesus is available to you. Right? It isn't always easy. It isn't always simple. It's going to take a lot of work in building your faith and building habits of generosity. But if you're obedient in your generosity and listening to and remembering the promises of God, your soul can find contentment in Christ. I'm going to read from Ephesians 3 and then we'll transition to time of communion. And, and as, we, as we go to communion, man, that's, that's, that's what it's about, right? It's... Um, Finding, finding our, our everything in, in Jesus. Finding our everything in him. That's what we remember with communion is, is that he is our everything. So I'm gonna read from Ephesians 3 and I'll pray and then take a minute, take some time and then the way that we, that we celebrate communion here, there, there's tables on either side uh, with the elements and, and you just come, come as you're ready. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Father, thank you for your provision in our eternal lives. Our eternal lives. Lord, help us to remember that. That we don't we are promised pain, we are promised suffering, we are promised struggle, we are promised all of these things in this life, but this life is but a mist. It's a whisper. It is so quick in the scheme of eternity. Help us to find our contentment in that, in you. Thank you for the reminder that we have each and every week when we take communion together of what you went through, what you did, what you have done, what you continue to do for our soul. And help our souls to find rest in you. We pray in your name. Amen. This teaching was recorded as part of our current sermon series at Icon Church. During our weekly gatherings, we move from the teaching to a time of response. While we recognize it may be hard to capture that as you listen online, we encourage you to take a moment to reflect on and respond to what the Spirit might be telling you in response to what you've heard. For more resources and to find out how you can join with us on Gathering on Sundays, 
visit iconchurch.org. And as we say each week, Christ is all and we are his.